Module 2, Subject 3, Byproducts of Inflation and Debt. Key questions answered. How does inflation amplify wealth inequality? Why is it harder now to purchase a house than it was 40 years ago? How else am I being taxed besides income and sales tax? How do debt and inflation encourage environmental destruction? Why do debt and inflation lead to a suppression of innovation? Now that we've built a foundational understanding of debt and inflation, let's move on to their unintended consequences. As with anything in life, we have to weigh up the risk to reward, whether that is deciding to speed on the highway, quitting our job in search of a new career, or deciding to have surgery on a broken bone. Unsurprisingly, inflation and taking on debt are no different. Economists and politicians regularly tout the positives of inflation and debt. They boost economic growth, aid the growth of real wages, and allow us to obtain products, services, and assets that we otherwise would not be able to afford. However, these economists and politicians tend to leave out the not-so-great side effects of inflation and debt. With that said, let's jump into the four major not-so-great side effects of inflation and debt. 1. Wealth inequality If we keep up with social media and listen to the news, most would likely agree that there is a frequent talk of greater social unrest and wealth inequality globally. We are of the opinion that one of the drivers behind this increase in social unrest is that it is significantly harder to purchase a house today than it was 40 years ago. This can easily be seen as the house price to wage ratio in the 1980s was just above four. Today, it is above seven. That means that the average house price costs seven times the average person's wage. Why is it so much harder to purchase the house? It is becoming significantly harder to purchase property for two reasons. First, inflation is devaluing our currency's purchasing power. With a deteriorating currency, people are no longer incentivized to save. This forces individuals with wealth to direct their resources towards financial assets, while individuals without wealth towards consumption. As consumption directs money towards the corporations held by the wealthy, and the smart money directs their cash towards assets, we see the knock-on effect of rising asset prices due to increased demand. This is all while inflation is wrecking havoc on the purchasing power in our currency. Secondly, due to our excessive debt burden, governments are incentivized to suppress interest rates. In doing so, debt consumption becomes more enticing, especially to those with wealth. When the cost of capital is so cheap, People borrow beyond their means, funneling more capital into assets, driving up prices. This is great for asset holders. However, prices are becoming ever more unobtainable for those trying to get on the property ladder or dip their toes into financial markets. A simple rule of thumb is that as interest rates decline, asset prices increase as capital is more freely available. How does this inflation amplify wealth inequality? Considering the upper class hold assets and the lower class tends to hold currency, what ensues is greater and greater wealth inequality as the purchasing power of currency diminishes and the cost of assets steadily rise, becoming more and more unobtainable. This can be seen in table one below. What you'll notice is a significant difference in the appreciation of assets in comparison to wages. 
the stock market from January 2010 to January 2021 increased on average 11.67% per year, whereas the average hourly wage only increased 2.65%. With this lagging of wages to asset prices, we have seen one of the greatest transfers of wealth from the lower class to the upper class in recent history. 2. Hidden Taxation For the most part, when we talk about taxes, we tend to refer to income tax and sales tax, as these are really the two main types of tax we encounter day to day. However, many of us don't realise that there are a couple other forms of stealth tax that are lesser known and just as important. In saying that, how else am I being taxed besides income tax and sales tax? The first, inflation. Earlier, we mentioned that inflation is often referred to as a hidden tax, affecting the less well-off members of our society more directly as they hold cash. This was not the case under the gold standard, as when a country wanted to print more money, it would have to obtain more gold reserves. This ensured the preservation of purchasing power, as a currency's value was backed by gold. However, as our currency is no longer backed by gold, the money supply can be expanded at will at the expense of purchasing power. When we expand the money supply, value doesn't just appear out of thin air. The value in this new circulating money is created from the dilution of the previous currency holders. This may sound a little confusing, so here's an example. If a pizza is cut into four slices, doubling the money supply is not equivalent to doubling the amount of pizza. Instead, it would be equivalent to cutting those four slices in half to create eight slices. We've not gained any additional pizza, we just have more slices. This means that if we owned one slice of the pizza pre-cutting or pre-monetary expansion, this would amount to one quarter of the pizza. Now, we still own one slice after cutting, but we now only own one eighth of the pizza. When the government expands the monetary supply, the value has to come from somewhere, and that value comes from the collective currency holders, including you. To summarize, inflation is a stealth tax on our purchasing power as the same $1 purchases less over time. Financial repression, a concept introduced in 1973 by Stanford economists Edward Shaw and Ronald McKinnon. Financial repression is the suppression of interest rates below that of inflation, allowing the government to borrow money at extremely low rates to fund operations. This greatly benefits debtors and is disadvantageous to creditors, aligning with the fact that the US is the largest debtor nation with a total government debt of $28.1 trillion. This suppression of interest rates is not natural and allows the government to obtain capital to fund operations through the issuance of treasury bonds at rates below that of inflation. This directly passes on the cost of borrowing onto the creditor, which in this case ends up being the economy. Under normal interest rate environments, savers would be rewarded in the form of reasonable interest rates. For instance, they would get significantly more return on their capital. Instead, savers are punished with suppressed interest rates, and this difference in performance is passed on to the government to fund its debt. In essence, when the Fed artificially suppresses interest rates, it is a stealth tax on currency holders as it negatively impacts savers. How does this impact us? We are no longer sufficiently rewarded when storing our money in savings accounts 
pensions, or fixed income products, all of which rely on interest rates to generate income. That means unless we take financial investment risk, which can result in the loss of some or all of our investment, our purchasing power is guaranteed to reduce over time due to inflation. Building on this idea, pension funds have return obligations they have to meet in order to ensure they can support their retirees. To meet these obligations, they have to invest our hard-earned savings. When interest rates are, for example, 4%, a pension fund might be able to meet all of its payment obligations by simply investing in safe treasury bonds. They offer low-risk, regular interest payment. However, when rates are suppressed close to zero, the same pension fund can no longer meet its obligations and must start searching for yield elsewhere. This impacts savers in two ways. First, the suppression of interest rates causes asset prices to rise as trillions of dollars of pension and savings have to flow into riskier assets in search of yield, driving up wealth inequality. Second, by having to move out the risk curve in search of yield, pension funds have to take on greater amounts of risk in order to meet their obligations. Greater risk means greater potential for default, and in this instance, a default would mean the loss of people's life savings and their retirement. Ignoring all the other negative byproducts of debt and inflation, when governments suppress interest rates to help reduce their debt burden, they're not just passing the buck on to savers, they're borrowing from the future generations who will inherit an even greater debt burden. 3. Environmental Destruction To better understand why inflation and interest rates are major players in environmental destruction, we must first understand how they influence consumer spending. Therefore, let's tie together two important points from the inflation and debt sections of this course. First, when we artificially lower interest rates, we lower the cost of capital, making it cheaper and easier to borrow money. Second, with inflation causing an increase in the money supply and a destruction of the dollar's purchasing power, it disincentivizes saving as our currency is worth less one day to the next. Combining easier access to capital and a destruction of purchasing power leaves us with a population that is disincentivized to save and incentivized to consume. This may lead to an increase in consumer demand where there is a need to increase manufacturing that requires materials. And to obtain materials, we're depleting natural resources. Indefinite growth and consumption is not sustainable our current inflationary system does not work with a finite resource planet. What is the answer? Everyone has their own idea of how to make a difference. In our view, inflation encourages short-term thinking. We're incentivized to consume as our money is worth less one day to the next. One potential solution to reduce consumption is to embrace our deflationary world. However, this would require a currency whose purchasing power increases over time. That way, we're incentivized to save rather than consume. What do we mean by this? As explained in the inflation section, we live in a world full of technological advancement. This should drive the cost of living down over time as we develop products, services, and technology that allows us to get more for less. However, to embrace this, we need to change how we manage our monetary system, leaving behind this growth targeting and money supply intervention. In doing so, as our money supply will be fixed, our money will be able to capture all of our technological gains, increasing our purchasing power. We'll no longer see our purchasing power decline through money supply expansion. 
Most importantly, if we have a currency whose buying power is increasing, we are encouraged to save as we can purchase more one day to the next. This would disincentivize consumption, increasing financial stability and global sustainability. 4. Suppression of innovation When delving deep into the not-so-great side effects of inflation and debt, one of the lesser talked-about byproducts is the suppression of innovation. Why do debt and inflation lead to a suppression of innovation? Most of us haven't heard the term zombie company before. This term is critical to understand as it plays a huge role in the suppression of innovation. Essentially, a zombie company is a company that is unable to support itself financially. This signifies that the product or service that the business offers either does not have enough demand or that the business has been fiscally irresponsible and is unable to service its debts. This business should therefore restructure or close up shop. When the government suppresses interest rates in order to make it cheaper and easier for companies to access capital, we increase the number of zombie companies in the economy. Rather than propping up unsustainable companies, we should allow the natural life cycle of a business to play out. When a new company has to compete with an ever-increasing number of zombie companies, it becomes ever more challenging for that business to succeed and prosper. Instead of focusing on innovation, that business must use a portion of its resources to compete. As of July 2020, 19% of all listed companies in the US were zombie companies, and this number is rising. This is making it harder and harder for newcomers in any space to grow and prosper as they're having to compete with companies that should not fiscally exist. Conclusion. Hopefully, you found this section on the key unintended consequences of debt and inflation enlightening. Before jumping into the final module, where we consider our options for protecting and building wealth, we will first tie together everything we have learned up until this point in the next section. Reflection questions. Why is inflation often referred to as a hidden tax? How might increase longer-term prospects of saving reduce consumption? Why do zombie companies reduce the productive capacity of other companies? Thank you.